What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my baby, and these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet tail. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life, it chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention is? When's the last time that anybody has ever asked you a question? No one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Balls. I'm Kevin Sherrington. And I'm Barry Horn. Simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Yes, welcome into another edition of the Ballsy Podcast brought to you by the Dallas Morning News. I'm Sean Bass of The Ticket. We're with Evan Grant and Kevin Sherrington in studio, and it's time to talk a little bit of Dallas Cowboys football. Two of the five preseason games are in the rearview mirror, and we have an Ezekiel Elliott suspension to discuss, and who better than the beat writer of the Morning News? It's David Moore joining us live from Oxnard. David, thanks for the time this morning, sir. Always happy to join the show when Barry Horn's not on it. Isn't, isn't it pleasant when Barry's not here? See, we've gotten through. We got through two podcasts without a without an insult towards Barry. Hey. And I'm now let's go with all food. of them. Yeah. So if you had the over out there, you're a winner. Yeah. So David Zeke, let's let's just get into it now because obviously the news comes down Friday. I think everybody was a little surprised with six games, but as I was talking about on my show this past Sunday on the ticket. They spent 13 months investigating this. They had probably had more time and more resources than the Columbus police. Um, I know they're probably not going to disclose all the information they have because this is a marketable player. This is a star of their league. But there had to be some fire around all that smoke to get six games. Well, one thing I'm a, I'm a little amused by is this notion that the NFL is somehow out to get Ezekiel Elliott that it's in their best interest to, to go after him and, and levy a suspension, and that they were looking for ways to go above and beyond what the Columbus prosecutors were able to do, and that they would actually assign more weight and give more veracity to the accuser statements and, and Tiffany Thompson than they did the, the testimony and, and the evidence presented by Ezekiel Elliott. None of that matches up. The NFL did not want to come to this conclusion, the NFL did not come to this conclusion 13 months ago and then spend the you know, preceding time working their way back to, to reach and support what it, this conclusion. In, in my mind, this, this is where the evidence took them, and, and this is where the testimony took them. And, you know, I know, I know a lot of people will focus on the process and say, again, this is, they're out to get Elliot, they're out to get the NFL, uh, but I don't, I don't think anything could be further from the truth on this. David, what if he were an Eagle fan? Would one Cowboy fan complain about this? I mean, what if he were an Eagle? No, not at all. And again, I find it interesting. It's you know, you, you had a people are, are are picking at this, and they're coming at it. I, I understand the initial uh, emotional response. I, there was a lot of surprise. And that surprise, I think, in large part was due to the fact that Jerry Jones had spent the preceding weeks leading up to it saying absolutely nothing was going to happen, that he had seen all the evidence. There was nothing to 
uh, move forward with or, or, or with punitive on the league standpoint that they could do in relation to domestic violence. So I think every, I think a lot of fans thought, well, if they do get him, it'll be on something else. It'll be like when the feds went after Al Capone for murder and couldn't get him, so they got him on tax evasion. They may do the right. same thing with, with Ezekiel Elliott. They couldn't get him on domestic abuse, but then they'll get him for one of these other episodes that has occurred uh, since he's been with the Cowboys and, and give him a, a lesser amount of game just to justify the length of their investigation. It turned out that wasn't the case. You know, Elliot and the Cowboys had 13 months to get across how this uh, investigation was unfair. And I think they laid the groundwork that anything the NFL ruled in this case would be viewed as unfair because Elliot and, and, and to, a, to a lesser extent than, than uh, Jerry Jones, I, I think it was much more uh, outspoken about it. But both of them had, had indicated, look, nothing to see here. The, the league will move on. Why haven't they moved on already? Uh, we saw with the detailed uh, information that they have released regarding this report and the fact that, uh, you know, Sean, you mentioned earlier about them having resources not available to the Columbus prosecutors. One of them was uh, metadata. Uh, they yeah. had the, the technology and the, uh, and the resources and the time to go through and actually verify uh, that these photos that the accuser said uh, showed abuse, they were able to timestamp them and show that they were taken in a sequence uh, that spoke to that. And so they were able to use that, these photos as evidence, whereas the Columbus prosecutors were never able to do that because they weren't able to timestamp it. And, and the last thing on this, I, I'm sure there'll be many other things to discuss, but another is people are saying, well, well how can the league do this? How can it go outside of, of the court system? Well, you know, the, the judicial system had, a, had an evidentiary standard of probable cause. The NFL is not dealing with probable cause. And just because one institution doesn't deal with that doesn't mean that their findings can be dismissed. It's just a different level of, uh, or a different standard of verification. And it doesn't make it any less meaningful because it's outside of the judicial system it's just uh if your processes are in place and you go about it methodically and 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 do this investigation the way it should and really the bottom line here is cowboy fans are upset with the decision i don't think they're really upset with the process even though they'll pick at it or they're upset with other things they're upset with this decision David, I think that if you look at the names of the people that were looking into this and the the the, the, the six-page letter that they they wrote to Ezekiel Elliott, all those all those people have a lot of credibility, and I'm sure this isn't the first time they've looked into some sort of matter uh, like this. And I, I I tend to take those people's word for it, especially after they've spent over a year collecting evidence. And I know people want to be mad at Roger Goodell and oh he wasn't present for meetings, this and that. These are these are very smart people that looked at everything and made this decision well this external panel was composed of a former attorney general for the state of new jersey it was uh composed of a u.s attorney a former u.s attorney and a former uh chief of the security and exchange commission it was uh, a former uh, a hall of famer and former nfl player was on this group and also the ceo of a uh, of a of a a woman's uh, network. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, 
you're exactly right. I mean, they're, they structured this external panel to have diversity, but also have the legal and judicial chops to put a process in place that was meticulous as far as how they went about this. And, I, I, you know, a lot of this, again, people are going to point and say it's unfair because, you know, Ray Rice got two games and uh, Josh Brown got one. Well, I'm not hearing them say that, you know, that people are saying it's unfair because those guys got so little and Ezekiel Elliott got, got six. But what we have found in the succeeding time and, and what I think the NFL opened themselves up for criticism before was, um, you know, look, after Ray Rice, you then had six games if physical abuse was uh, determined in a relationship. Well, as they said when they released the findings on Friday, as soon as they determined that physical abuse occurred in this relationship, the baseline suspension was six games. Now, they had the latitude to mitigate or reduce that based on what Ezekiel Elliott's camp presented uh, as evidence or mitigating circumstances or behavior on the part of Elliott, and they found none, which is why it stayed at six. Now, in the appeal, he can mitigate it, uh, I would say, basically with the contrition tour uh, and, and behavior as far as actually saying, well, look, I, I still disagree with this finding. I'm saying I didn't do it, but I understand your concerns here. I'm sorry I put my teammates in this position. I understand how unwieldy, uh, unwieldy and, and uh, how, how that plays on the public stage, and it's not good for anyone. You know, I, I think he can mitigate or potentially reduce his suspension in the hearing if he takes that approach, but that's certainly not the approach taken right now because his camp is is really carpet bombing information. Yeah. In my mind, only only two threads that they can pull to make this unravel in the public eye. One, that is the motivation and veracity of Tiffany Thompson, and two, pointing to a process that they believe is flawed and go. Well, look, uh, Goodell wasn't even in the room on June 26th when he met with the committee. Uh, Goodell never spoke to Tiffany Thompson. How can he make this ruling? Which is interesting in light of the fact that Goodell has been criticized in the past because he was part of every part of the process, and, and it was dismissed as unfair then because he was judge, jury, and executioner. David, let's assume that the, that the suspension stays at six games. That is... Uh, the the Giants, Broncos, Cardinals, Rams, Packers, and 49ers. How did you have those six games picked before this suspension? Oh, I, I think they'll be five and one now instead of four and two. How's that? <laughs> Way to go. Well, that, 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 that's something to throw out there for all those angry Cowboys fans. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, their, their run game, um, look, with – with Darren McFadden and, and Alfred Morris, and uh, I think they will be efficient. I think they'll be able to retain their run-first identity, uh, their core identity, which will be uh, significant as far as their ability to, to keep their offense intact and run what they want to run. But they're not going to be as explosive or as threatening in the run game, and that's going to have some consequences. I think you're going to see... Uh, you know, people crowding the, the line more. Or, you know what, maybe they don't need to crowd the line because uh, a, bi- a big part of Ezekiel Elliott's game is teams knew he was going to run and the Cowboys were going to run on first down. They stacked the line, 
and he would still get five and six yards of carry on first down and give you a second and four. I think you're probably going to see more second and eight, second and sevens going forward early in the season, and that's going to limit uh, your options as far as what you have on second down and, and third down. So I think it's going to be felt in those terms. But I think they're still going to be good enough where they'll be able to run their offense. I just don't think they will be as, as threatening. And two, I, everyone's going to point to McFadden and, and Alfred Morris and, and Hillman to some extent on, and, and Rod Smith and you know do it by committee and how they make it up that way. I would actually argue that their most efficient runner as far as forcing defenses back on their heels and, and giving the same sort of looks and backing off that they got last year could be Dak Prescott. I think you would see him run more out of those zone reads and uh, pick up enough yardage to where defenses are going, okay, um, we're going to have to to back off and play this a little differently, which could open up some things for Morris and McFadden from there. Well, David, you mentioned this on on the ticket early this morning when you were talking about um, uh, Kellen Moore being a solid number two. Um, Thank you for noting that, yes. But, I do believe that. But um, <laughs> you did mention Prescott, and I thought it was a really interesting point. The, the, the question I've got is, so how do you make that effective? Do you run Dak some on first down in, 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 in those zone reads? Um, yeah, and, and you, know, you also have the whole point of Dallas is so established as a run first team. Do you, early in the season as you're trying to establish things, for a brief period, do you actually pass first to set up the run rather than the other way around? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you want to change up your tendencies. I was think I think there's going to be some of that anyway. Uh, or or if you're Jason Garrett and he's a, a very stubborn individual, do you just say, "Look, we're going to double down. People are going to assume that we're going to pass a little bit more earlier and in different situations than we did last year because we don't have Elliott." We'll actually throw a wrench at them by doing the exact same way we went about it last year with different personnel. Do so, you think this is a point for for Jason Garrett to be stubborn, or do you think this is a point for him to be flexible? I think it's a point to be flexible, but he would argue that uh, stubborn is best, and you know when to be flexible. You know, uh, I think it's just a, a difference in interpretation and in what your baseline is. I, I think I think Jason Garrett will be very conscious of, um, look, we're not going to get away from our core identity. We're going to run, even if that means in a couple of these early possessions, we don't move the chains the way we want. We're setting it up for down the road, and we're letting teams know we're going to continue to go at them. Another thing that's interesting here is with a run team, and I think people typically forget this, but... You look at the first couple of games of the season, the Cowboys haven't really been that effective in recent years running in the first couple of games compared to what they are as the season wears on. And I think it's because you just physically, an offensive line can't get that edge until they play a few games. They can't get that dominance under them because of the way uh, training camp is scheduled now and, and you don't hit as much as you did in the past. So I don't know that the run game is up to speed to start the season the way the pass game can be. And so, but this year I think there's going to be even a, a greater 
spotlight on that because people are going to assume they're not going to be able to run as well without Ezekiel Elliott. And then if that doesn't happen early, everyone's going to go, we'll see, uh, they really do miss him. But go back to how well they ran the ball or didn't run the ball the first couple of games last year with Ezekiel Elliott. And they also got off to a slow start of the running game as well. Uh, they did two years ago uh, when McFadden was in there, and they did even three years ago uh, when DeMarco Murray was in there before. Uh, it, you usually see it around week three or four when the ground game really starts to get traction. David, Dak can make plays with his legs. We saw it last year. He seems durable. He's a big physical kid. But considering, you know, over this time where Zeke is likely out serving his suspension, they're going to go up against the defense in the Giants and the Broncos and also the Arizona Cardinals, three of the better defenses they're probably going to face this year. How much emphasis should they put on protecting Dak Prescott considering what they have behind him? Because I don't know about you, I don't think Kellen Moore is a solid number two. I don't think he can make all the throws. And then you have Cooper Rush, who's shown some glimpses in the preseason. They don't have the depth behind Dak Prescott to take any risks or throw any uh, different wrinkles out there on a consistent basis and having Dak make plays with his legs. I agree, but I think they have great faith in, in Dak Prescott as a runner. Uh, they think he doesn't take unnecessary risks. Uh, they think when he's going to get hit, he does go down. Uh, like you say, he has a good frame and he's a physical runner, but he doesn't look to punish uh, defenders or to be uh, macho about it. Right. Uh, he, he gets his yardage and then goes out of bounds, goes down. Uh, I Man, mean, it only takes you know, one hit. It only takes one hit sure. to completely derail a season like this. Sure, but, but you can get that hit in the pocket as well. Of course. Right. Now, you, you are exposed more. The more you run and the more you're downfield, the more you expose yourself to those hits. And I, I think that, like I said, they trust him. Uh, I think he's going to run. When I say he's going to run more than he did last year, I'm just talking interim, incrementally. I, I don't think it's going to be a huge difference because I think his strength is that he's very comfortable in the pocket, staying in there, going through his reads and getting the ball out and going through his progression. That is always what he prefers to do. But if you're going to find yourself in more third and eight situations where maybe your first, second, and third options are taken away immediately, I think you will see him get out and run more. Uh, but it's going to be out of, it's still going to be out of necessity, I would say, uh, more so than a, a, a planned part of what you're doing. And uh, I, I say a planned part. I, I just believe it will be incrementally they'll improve. But I agree with you completely. They can't afford to have him get hurt. Uh, well, they've got he, a solid number two. <laughs> exactly. Well, listen, here's the thing about that. When people talk about the – and I believe, you know, yes, you need a good backup quarterback. But – if your starting quarterback goes down for any significant amount of time, you're, you're in done. trouble. You're done. You're uh, in trouble. Yeah, and that and that's that's unless, that's you're, unless your backup is Dak Prescott. Yes, that's right. correct. <laughs> that's correct. So that's it's very rare when anybody I mean, you're, goes you're, anywhere. You know what? You're not done. Let's say let's say this. You're not done, but your your chances of success diminish diminish greatly. No, and there no have been question. cases. There have been cases. But those are legendary cases. Right. Where, where, where Dak is a legendary so. case at this point in time. That's yeah. correct. So uh, I, I, you, it, know, it, it, you, you always have to keep that in mind. But I don't think any team can play out of fear. You know, I don't think you can play out of fear of losing a player. No. That doesn't mean you're not smart in how you employ him and what you do with him. But but if you're if you're sitting there saying, well, 
there is no way in the world we can afford to lose Dak Prescott. So let's have three-step drops and have him go to his third option every single time, and you're always throwing underneath. I don't know how that's going to help you win games necessarily. So you always have to find that balance. And if you play out of fear, I just think you limit what you're doing. And I mean, I don't know that in, in this game, as violent and as fast as it is, I don't know how much you can really protect someone anyway. Hey, I, I've got a question for all you guys. We, we spent a lot of time writing last year and talking about how Prescott was a mobile quarterback, but he spent all of the year basically in the pocket, and he was very conventional in the way he approached things. Kevin, David, yes. do you guys feel like he's got to be encouraged to run more? Do you think that's a smart approach here? No. I, I, you know, I don't think he wants to. I think he, he knows that's the reputation that, oh, this is a guy that's going to get out and run a lot. And I don't think he, he wanted to do that at all. He mm-hmm. wants to be uh, – he wants to prove that I'm a guy who can stand back here in the pocket, as, as David said, go through my progressions and make the right plays. But if you don't have the weapon that you had in the backfield. I think – you know, listen, uh, I've, I've kind of been all over the map about this the last few years about uh, quarterbacks and what – What makes this different from any well, other – Well, that's true. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I have – we have seen guys – you know, uh, who started out, and uh, RG3 is the perfect example, as a guy who was that zone read kind of quarterback and had tremendous success as a rookie. And it ruined him. And it ruined him. And right. he got hurt, and there's no question. Now, I will say this. I still think that, that Shanahan ruined him. He, he put yes. him out there to play when he was not healthy. Totally After he was already hurt. After yeah. he was already hurt. And I think that was part of the issue. But I, I agree with, with what uh, I think, David, you said this. A guy can get, you know, What's what's more likely to get get you hurt when you're running out of bounds and somebody hits you, or when you're standing in the pocket and a guy blindsides right. you? You know, to, to me, that's you, you stand just as much of an issue getting hurt that way. I'd lo- in, in in the analytics of football and the studies we do now of things, I'd love to see that. Like yeah. what what are the results of of hits on quarterbacks and time missed from from where they're hit versus the pocket or running out of bounds or open field. That was just a statement. That was a statement. Right. Now, David, now, does your comments on that uh, Evans question? Well, one, I think Sean Bass will look up the uh, and, and find your supporting evidence on your uh, thesis there, Evan. I don't think he'll have any problem doing that. Uh, two, I, I think that you know one, one, one of many reasons why I think Dak was so successful last year is his versatility and adaptability. And we're talking about the zone read here. You know, that could be a big part of a game plan in week two, and then you don't see it again until week five. Right. I, I think Dak's ability to execute the different variations in this offense and ignore another part to keep a defense off balance, not going into a game knowing what they're going to throw at them, was one of their greatest strengths last year. So I, I think we'll see that again. I, I think that's what sets him apart from other younger quarterbacks, that you don't have to say, look, this is how he needs to play to be successful. I think that can play in two or three sort of things and still be successful. The other thing I was struck the other day that Jason Garrett was talking about, and we were talking about Dak's mobility as a quarterback and how he's still looking to, to make the pass before he runs and what a smart runner he is. And, and he talked about how you know a lot of young players, when they're flushed out of the pocket, we always talk about moving to the side uh, laterally, a rolling pocket left or right. But he was talking about how when Dak, the pressure is up front and he's pushed out of the pocket at the top, Dak still looks to step back, go into the pocket, keeps his eyes above the rush, 
to look downfield. And that is traditionally where quarterbacks, if they're inclined to run, that's where they'll run instead of instead of get back in the pocket and throw because they see the rush coming, they react to the rush. Dak sees the rush coming, counterintuitively goes back into the pocket because he keeps his eyes beyond the rush because he's looking at, okay, what's going to open up down the field from there? And I, I thought it was a very instructive way to describe how Dak Prescott uh, looks at a play and, and was really able to break down while – he can run as a quarterback. He is not necessarily looking to run as a quarterback. David, let me ask you something. This is, it just struck me when, when Evan was talking about uh, uh, quarterbacks. If you don't have a franchise quarterback, uh, and the Cowboys feel like they do, and I believe they probably do too, uh, but if you don't have one, why wouldn't you keep a number two quarterback who could, you could use for the zone read to bring in in certain situations a guy who is enough of a threat throwing the ball? It's not a wildcat. I don't believe in the wildcat. I don't. I don't think that really works that well because there's no op, There's no real pass option here. So, but if a guy has let's let's say it's a Colin Kaepernick uh, who who's finding a hard time uh, gaining employment in the league. Uh, why wouldn't you want to try something like that? Why, what would keep that from being successful? Well, you just look, I mean, you still want someone who can run your overall offense and, and doesn't fixate on a smaller percentage of your offense. Um, but if you're just looking at supplementing weapons and you say, like, well, let's carry three quarterbacks on the roster and, and one of them, likely the third, uh, can do this zone read, uh, a little bit better. Let's let's go with him, and we can emphasize that uh, more on certain occasions. That's but, tough to do with limited rosters. That's really tough to carry. It is, like yeah. And and you know we're talking about a, a third quarterback now. Frankly, I'm not sure the Cowboys can carry three quarterbacks on this roster going into the season, given all the suspensions they're facing <laughs> and some players who are likely to be injured to start this season. I, I think that that's going to be a luxury. I know I don't know that they're going to be afforded here early in the season. So. I, I certainly understand the uh, the rampaging doubts about Kellen Moore and his ability if, if Dak Prescott goes down. But uh, if Dak Prescott goes down for any extended period, I, I think you have more issues than, than just Kellen Moore, whether or not he's equipped. I, I don't know. With, with Elliott out here early, too, I, I don't know what you're going to be able to do offensively. And, and, Kevin, and we're saying all this, and we're forgetting – we're forgetting they have some very good weapons in the pass game. We, you know, Des Bryant and Terrence Williams are both healthy now. Uh, you, you have some pretty solid third receivers, and, and Cole Beasley is one of the best slot receivers in the league. So I, I think they can, you know, even if you don't have the great run game, you can approximate the run game with your route tree and, and throwing underneath. And, and we saw last year that, uh, I mean, Cole Beasley was, was Dak Prescott's leading receiver. Uh, he went to him more than any other player, and and I don't know that that's going to change this. David, I don't want to spend the whole podcast on the offense, and quickly can we talk about the defense, which I think could be an even bigger issue as far as the success or failure of this team, even more so than uh, some Ezekiel Elliott suspension. When are we going to get an accurate look of how good or bad this defense is in the preseason, or will, will we go through the entire preseason and just not see it? because, you know, the preseason is so dumbed down and so vanilla? Well, I, I think you'll get a pretty good look in that fourth preseason game. Um, you know, they'll come back this weekend. I think the, the starters will probably play a, a quarter, uh, the, the defensive starters, at least the ones who are still upright, 
uh, you know, in this game against Indianapolis. But no Andrew back Luck. After that. Andrew Luck's going to be yeah. out, though. I mean, you're not going to get a real good quarterback going up against this defense. No, no. I'm saying like, like it's going to be the fourth game where that defense is on the field the most. But, look, it, the defense could play every snap of the remainder of the preseason, and there will still be doubts about their ability going into the season because they're unproven. They're going to have to lean on a lot of guys and get production out of a lot of players who have yet to take a snap in the NFL in a regular season game, and they're going to do it with a pass rush that, that to put it kindly, is still suspect and doesn't have the career numbers that, that lets you or lead you to believe that they're going to get any sort of consistent pressure on the quarterback. Uh, it's going to, the defense is how it plays out, and, and again, a premium is going to be placed on the defense even more early in the season because you'll be without Elliott, right. and you're going to, uh, you know, require them to force the action, I think, more so than they have in the past. And and I think this defense is is faster. I think it has more big play ability than it's had in the fast, past, which I realize is, is faint praise when you look at the fact that you had hardly any big play ability. But, but I think this defense is going to make some more plays, but I think they, especially early with so many young players, I don't think they will be as disciplined and I think they will give up some more big plays. Uh, the question's just going to be, on balance, are they forcing those plays that, that turn into positives more so than they're giving up the big plays that lead to a deficit? And we'll just have to see how that plays out early. Well, David, listen, you've been doing great work out of camp. I know you're ready to get back and break camp yourself. Thanks for the time today. Thanks for your time uh, on the ticket every week. We do appreciate that. And uh, we'll talk to you very soon, my friend. Yes, thank you for giving me a horn-free forum in which to express my views. And, David, thanks for not providing any drops for the ticket uh, during this particular podcast. We can always find something. Oh, they they can make a drop out of anything, believe me. David, thanks for being a solid number two. Oh, my gosh. Stop it. Okay. (laughs) I I do want to tell you one thing about the pursue this quarterback thing because my issue with the NFL and quarterbacks is that they have mishandled the position forever. They, they, they have no clue about what makes a great quarterback. We're going we're gonna to force this square peg into this round hole and get the quarterback that we want. We're all about, we're all about the tools and not so much about the, uh, the uh, aptitude. And you've got to pay him too soon, and you've got to pay him too much too soon. Oh, absolutely. That, but hand, I that think, handcuffs your whole team. I do but, think, to but, your but, point, but, Kevin, if there's one thing that I feel like I understand about the NFL is this league of reps and reps and reps, and you've got to have 11 guys working in sync, and – the idea of then bringing in a quarterback uh, in which you're going to basically change your scheme significantly uh, is going to weaken you on multiple fronts. It's possible, but here, here's the thing I would ask about that. Then why is it that college programs can do it? Why is it that you've seen college programs because have Because there's greater disparity in talent in the college programs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, a, a freshman can step in and, and beat, and even a veteran college defense because that freshman quarterback has been so you know steeped in seven on seven and reading defenses since junior. Well, but, high. But, but, and but, and but, how many great college programs have gone through the system? Have gone through a year where they've had the 
rotating quarterbacks in different systems. I think it's it's to some extent a novelty that, okay, we're in the red zone. We are going to use the guy who can run a little bit because you know you're going to run more. But I, I don't want to say that – I don't want to make this sound like I'm bringing in a guy – I'm not bringing in Tim Tebow. Right. Right? I'm not doing that. I'm talking about uh, – let's let's take Colin Kaepernick, a guy right. who's had success, you know, and who has and, – and, and I think the reason why he's being kept out of teams is not has, has very little to do with his ability. No, it's it, all political. It's all political. So – Here's a guy when you when you make him the number two quarterback, he he still can run your offense. It's just that he's able to do, do a little something different with your offense, and uh, that over. And I'm not talking about the Cowboys' offense. I'm talking about a, a one where you know if he's going to play for the Browns. The only thing for, for me on Colin Kaepernick is that what I've seen is, and maybe it was that San Francisco went downhill so quickly that he really didn't do a great job of directing the offense. No, no, he's, that, he's not. A, I don't believe he's a starting quarterback. He was never a polished passer. No. 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 They, they utilized him very well with Harbaugh. But, that, but that's the issue, too. And you could say, let's say that, that Dak Prescott is not the Cowboys starting quarterback. If Kellen Moore is still your backup quarterback. And, and, because here's my view about quarterbacks. If you've got an old quarterback or a damaged one like Tony Romo, then mm-hmm. you better have a guy you're back that you're developing as your number two. Yeah. There's no sense having well, a, a better quarterback. I think it was beautiful last year as far as Dak's year that Scott Linehan and Garrett and just the way they called plays for Dak, they they weren't running Tony Romo's offense. No. Their, no. their offense evolved last year to suit their quarterback, and I think that's – I don't think that that coaching staff gets nearly enough credit for just doing that. Which also shows that you can do it, though, right? Right. It shows you, that you, you can, can have two you, different offenses. You can't have a different type athlete be your quarterback. It's just a matter of are you going to stick so – are you going to be so strict and – yeah, this is what offense, we do. Or are you going to be able to adapt? Yeah. That's, that's the question. And I it's think a coaching that, question. And I think that teams can adapt more than we think, and the Cowboys proved that last year. Uh, my point is, is just that it, it – we, we, The NFL, I think, also is a league – every sports league is afraid of change. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and, and to me, the, the, the issue for me is that why even have a backup quarterback? Right. You know, because look at – do we really think that if something happens to him that Kellen Moore is going to come in and take the Cowboys to the no. playoff? No, no, way. no, no way. way. No way that's happening. And I, I think it's very few guys you can say that. So, therefore, to, in my mind, then let's see what you can get out of the position then, of the number two quarterback. Let's see if you can make it a little bit more productive and maybe actually get actual good out of it other than a guy just standing over there until something bad happens or the game's out of reach or whatever, and then, okay, yeah. Well, it, is, it is mind-blowing that Kaepernick doesn't have a job. It, it truly is. And I understand all the social stuff. I understand the risks that would take. Uh, from an ownership standpoint and having your fans back. I get all that. But the fact that that guy has been to a Super Bowl with with, with, with a team, how he doesn't have a job and other quarterbacks you're going to see in Thursday night and some of these other preseason dates, I mean, come on. Well, And I think that tells you about the number two position. That Basically, they're saying – Hey, we just want a guy who's going to be able to run the offense, not we, cause any trouble. We want no, no. no. I think what they're saying is we want a guy who's not going to have glaring weaknesses. Now he may not have any glaring strengths whatsoever. Yeah, that might be. But we don't want a guy who is going to go out there and have any glaring weaknesses. And we lean more towards the manage the game, drive Man, the you bus. You have kind of glaring weaknesses with Kellen Moore. If you go watch that Rams game, he was not making throws outside the numbers. He he didn't do that. He forced balls over the middle in the, the year he played in 15 when everything went to hell. I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. And, and my, my, so point, my point there is your backup quarterback, he still has to be able to make plays. Yes. He still has to be able to execute. You can talk about managing the game and getting more conservative and all of that, 
but he's still got to be able to make plays. Because the league is so predicated on just a few plays for every team. It's between a position being six that and 10 has and to make plays. No matter and, how you slice it, it, that position has to make plays, especially with the way offenses are spread now and with the vertical game and, and, and all of that. That position has to make plays. But that's what, to me, it always feels like. If he could make plays, he'd be starting. And that, and that's, to me, the issue then. then That's why the number two needs to be a more athletic quarterback, generally speaking, a guy who's going to make plays on his own. Because that is the one wild card in football with a quarterback is that we just don't know what's going to happen when this guy gets loose. How many NFL teams have legitimate starting quarterbacks? I think there's a few, and they drafted them. I think Paxton Lynch with the Broncos is that type of quarterback. Could be. I think there's a few quarterbacks that are waiting in the wings that have been drafted and developed. Those, I think, are legitimate possible playmaking quarterbacks. But I mean, Everybody else about- are just dudes that are holding clipboards right. and right. bus drivers. They are. So but we're talking, you, but you have a whole league of that. I'm, yes, I'm just do. talking about NFL starters. How many NFL starters are legitimate Oh, NFL you mean like like mind. the question yeah. about first round draft yeah. choices? I mean, you've really got thirty two teams. How many guys are legitimate NFL starters? A dozen. Dozen. A dozen. I think it's even more. I, th- I think I think people have for years have said, "Oh, there's only twelve to fifteen. I think it's actually more than that if if you really look at it. But well, if you've got a really good team, but it's not a full league. Well, I mean, right. you, you, we've seen guys who went to Super Bowls who were not great quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, if you, it depends on how good your team is. If you've got a really good, if you're Denver. And you got a really good defense. I think they they proved that when when Manning goes to the Super Bowl, you know, at the end of his career, yeah, right. clearly not but the quarterback. But he could still make a throw. He could Trent make a Dilfer throw. Trent could make a throw. You yeah. have to have that guy, like you right. said, to make a play or two. Right. And then you lean on all the other strengths. Yeah, right. And he may not. He may the 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 the, mo- the majority of the time he may miss wildly, but he's got to be able to make one or two big plays in a game. You've got to be yeah. able to connect with somebody downfield. And eat up some yard. And man, I can't wait till the freaking preseason is over because we get so hyped to have football back, and it is the worst. Brutal. It it's is, unwatchable. I, I would rather watch spring training baseball. I'd rather watch summer league basketball, which I immensely I mean, enjoyed. I, I got to tell you, for me, you know, we spent I, I spent so many years talking about, hey, who's going to be the number five starter, and that guy's going to start less and less in the rotation than anybody else, and it's the same thing. I cannot believe how much we spend talking about a backup quarterback in the NFL, partly because teams have this envy that their that their quarterback isn't a legit their starter isn't a legitimate quarterback. Right. And the rest of the time we're all scared to death what happens if we lose our starter because nobody's got a legitimate quarterback waiting in the wings. Right. Uh, but but it is such a useless conversation. Well, here's the thing though, that Dak Prescott has not driven that conversation because of what he did. Right. Yeah. Well and uh, there's still skeptics. That's the thing, though. That, that, that that's the beauty of year two for, from like oh, a media standpoint. Sure, He's sure. going to be under a very big and he should and he should be because of know? this quote sophomore slump potential. Yeah, right. they, they, he he should be, but he he couldn't have done a better job that first year. All right, we ready for lunch, guys? I'm ready for lunch. Let's, Let's go. go. To lunch. All right. When, when have I never been ready for lunch? <laughs> be sure to uh, like this, favorite this, share this with your friends. Thanks for listening to the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.